God often reveals his truth to us, whether it is about himself, us, or the relationships therein through the natural world. This is revealed to us by Paul in Romans 1, 19-20, which says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. This is also true for man-made things such as film, and I would like to show how he does just that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Welcome back to the Oha Marvelous Podcast, and today we will be talking about Iron Man 2. So this one came out in May of 2010, so I was just finishing up 7th grade. Again, I wasn't really into the Marvel scene yet at the time, so I don't ever recall seeing it in theaters. I don't even remember my first time seeing the movie itself. Um, so I don't think you'll get much of me out of this little bit segment within the Phase 1 movies. Um, so a lot of the things I really did like about this movie, this was very surprising how much I did end up liking about it compared to what I didn't. And certainly my likes definitely outweighed my dislikes for this film. My favorite character in this one was Justin Hammer. I just loved his personality, um, especially when he's on stage, because it just kind of shows the egotistical side of him. But I especially loved uh, the scene where he described his weaponry to uh, Colonel Rhodes as he's getting ready to... Um, equip his Iron Man suit for becoming War Machine, really. I just love his personal descriptions of each weapon, where he's like, this is not enough disco for you? Oh well, I, I understand. He goes into the ex-mother-in-law, and just his description of that, and then how that just kind of fell apart at the end of the movie. It was fantastic. Um, that's why I love Justin Hammer, and that's why he was my favorite character in this film uh my favorite scene was the senate hearing because that's just when tony just totally hands um justin hammer a piece of his mind as well as the senator who by the way is revealed later in the winter soldier to be part of hydra's infiltration of shield um and so it makes sense that that senator was being a prick um and I love how um, Rhodey and Tony proved him to be a prick as well. So, And that they played off of that at the end with it kind of going the reverse where um, the senator calls Tony a prick. And he's like, it's annoying how a little prick can be sometimes, huh? And then Tony uses that same trick on Banner in Avengers uh, just to see if it would uh, bring the Hulk out of him. Um, and I'm just realizing this, so that's kind of cool. And Tony here in this scene proves himself right when he says he's privatized world peace. And that, like other countries, are 5, 10, 20 years behind in his weapons technology. Um, and I love that he realizes that he and the suit are one and that if it falls into the wrong hands, 
then things could go certainly awry throughout the world. Um, which leads into my favorite quote, which takes place in the Senate hearing, which is where Tony says, The suit and I are one. To turn over the Iron Man suit would be to turn over myself, which is tantamount to indentured servitude or prostitution, depending on what state you're in. <laughs> I just love Tony's sense of humor there. Um, it just kind of continues to show um, how dumb the government can be sometimes, um, especially in that universe. But also I love that Rhodey was on his side there because when the senator asked him to read part of the pamphlet, whatever he wrote, um, about the Iron Man suit, um, that he realized, hey, you're taking this out of context. I go on to say that there's more benefits and it outweighs the bad, yada, yada. Um, and I'll get into that later. Um, and so I'd like to add some honorable mention quotes here. Um, one is at the end of the film in the big finale fight where Tony is trying to fight off the drones that are after him, including the war machine suit that Rhodes is in. And how dumb is it? Here's one of my dislikes here. Why is it that Vankov decides... Or doesn't even think to turn off communication between the war machine suit and the Iron Man suit. That's one of my complaints there. The honorable mention quote here is when Tony says, Drop your socks and grab your Crocs. And then later on, he um, is when he's telling Pepper that he was going to tell her that he was dying over an omelet. Um, he says, I'm fighting off a hemorrhoid attack. I just love puns like that. It, yeah, I just loved it. It was hilarious. And one last thing I notably liked about this movie is that um, Stark speaks French. I did not realize this. I wish they would have called back to this later on in the MCU because when he's in the prison about to talk to Ivan Vankov and he is talking to the prison warden and his crew in French. And so I thought that was interesting. Um, I guess, of course, a guy who travels around the world pretty often would have to learn several different languages, but that thought never crossed my mind. Wee oui, wee, oui, Mr. Stark. Anyways, um, so on to my dislikes of the film, because of course I had quite a few likes. Um, but as I said before, one of my dislikes was that how did Vankov and his genius not realize that he could have turned off the comms between Rhodes and Tony? Now, there may have been an instance where that was the case, but I don't think, I don't recall there being one, because I think they had communication between the two the whole time in the final battle. I just don't understand why it wouldn't cross Vankov's mind to turn that off. It would have actually made for a much more interesting battle I think if that were the case, if they turned the comms off between them, and of course, Agent Romanov could have brought the comms back together um, as she was trying to bring down the drones as well. And another of my dislikes was that the final battle, along the same lines, could have been longer with Vankov. Um, but I totally understand that it was a display of Stark's genius there to 
callback to the party scene where Rhodes and Tony practically destroyed um, Stark's home, um, where they shot at each other's hands, um, and to Tony's mind, hey, this is an obvious solution to our current problem here. Um, and I understand that, so um, good callback there, though. I still think the final battle could have been longer, though. Um, just my thoughts. But also, another of my dislikes was the Stan Lee cameo, and for this movie, I gave it a 1 out of 10. And honestly, it wasn't the worst cameo. It was like half a second of him being Larry King, I think, and so it wasn't that great. They could have done better, but obviously Marvel did improve upon their Stanley cameo game, so I definitely give them props for that. Um, so, yeah, they were the beginning of developing their movies, so I'll give them a pass. Yeah, I think that's all for my thoughts on the film itself. So now I'll move on to the devotional. In Iron Man 2, Tony Stark is seeking another way to protect his heart from shrapnel entering his heart, killing him. During this time, he had a device in his chest protecting his heart called the Arc Reactor. However, this device is also poisoning his blood, slowly killing him. In one scene, Tony is watching an old video of his father, Howard, whose technology business Tony took over. Howard, in this video, told Tony that a major project that he was working on was for him and that Tony was his greatest creation. At this point, Howard had passed away and had never told Tony that he loved him, so this video struck a chord with Tony and decided to look into his father's project. As it turns out, in doing this, Tony found the key to upgrading his arc reactor so that it doesn't slowly kill him. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Just like Tony's first arc reactor, the heart can desire things that look good to have, but these things can lead people's desires away from that which is from the Lord and holy, slowly killing them. If this is the case for you, you should get an upgrade by doing what Tony did and go to your father. Reset or place your desires on him, for he loves you. What have been the desires of your heart lately? Do they align with God's design for you in your life? What needs to happen to reset your desires away from what the heart wants to what God wants? I remember when I first wrote this devotional, it was really hard for me to think of something to write about for this one. And so I decided early on in the process that I would, in these cases of finding it difficult to think of something to write about um, devotionally, that I would pray about it and then watch the movie and I pray that God would show me something, um, bring something to light for myself. And so I did this for this movie and God showed me this illustration which you saw come to light through the devotional. And I absolutely loved it. It brings in this twofold thing of the heart is slowly killing you because your human desires come from your heart and your human desires may feel good at the time, but they're slowly killing you. And also, the point of the gospel in general is to go to your father. Um, and only he can cure what's wrong with you. He is the solution to it all. And that's not to say that God will 
answer every prayer that you ask him with a yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is wait and see. Because um, God's timing is perfect. And again, that kind of stems from the desires of our own hearts. It can be selfish at times. And so God wants to teach us a lesson that like being selfish is not the way to go. And that our own hearts can deceive us. And that is why it's important to go to the Father. Because as an outsider and the creator of your heart, he can see which parts have been corrupted. And if you ask him, he will correct them for you. And that correction might take a whole journey. Um, it's not just going to happen overnight. Sure, it might happen overnight, but most of the time it doesn't happen overnight. The transformation of the heart is a very hard thing for a human to process, for its their very essence. Um, but you know what? who created our essence is the Lord, and He knows what He created, and therefore He knows where it's been corrupted and how to fix it. And again, that is going to take you doing work on your part to help the process go along there. And I actually found in my recent viewing of the film almost a handful of other biblical themes that present themselves within this film. The first one being greed. Um, and this is displayed in the character of Justin Hammer. He reveals to Ivan Vankov and the audience that his whole goal, um, his felt purpose in doing all that he does in this film is to get a contract with the Pentagon that will at least get him to retirement and where he can live off of a wealth of retirement money from his contract there. And so that greed for that, that desire for that has blinded him to the evils that he is doing. He freed a known killer from prison to help him achieve his goal in making his attempts at the Iron Man suits of armor work for the Stark Expo so that it would be one step closer to him getting the contract with the Pentagon. Proverbs 11:28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And if you really truly think about what this verse has to say about greed, it's really just a call to humility. Because righteousness is humility lived out well, I believe. And it also kind of compares, um, within the whole context of scripture, greed to pride. As they are both two of the seven deadly sins. The verse again says, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. And Hammer certainly trusted in his own riches to gain more riches because he used his riches to buy Ivan to help build these drones, which would help him gain more riches, as was his goal. But as we saw, he fell. He was found out for what he was doing, and Pepper Potts and her courageousness, I don't know however else to say it, but she was courageous and stood up against him, um, even had him arrested with evidence to show. Now, if you're seeking after the Lord, that is seeking righteousness right there. Because if you're seeking after the Lord, 
um, he will give you what you desire, and that is himself. And scripture tells us to seek his kingdom first, and all of this will be added unto you. Matthew 6.33 And God does want you to have the desires of your heart, but he wants your desires first to be him, and then your desires will become his desires. At which point you will realize that your previous desires aren't really all that much worth it in light of eternity. And now the next biblical theme that I've noticed was the importance of context when studying scripture. Um, this comes up when Rhodes, as I described earlier, was reading out of his summary, um, his synopsis, whatever it's called. I don't know the military term for it or whatever where he's reading out of his evaluation of the Iron Man suit for Senator Stern, where he immediately recognizes that Stern is trying to have him read the one paragraph that is negative about the suit out of this whole book um, describing the suit's benefits to the U.S. military and to national security and yada, yada, yada. And so... Um, he tells Stern, you do realize that this is out of context. I believe it's premature to be reading it at this point. And you know Stern is very adamant about him reading it in that way. And this bit just kind of reminds me of, I described it in a previous episode. I can't remember which one. But it's when Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And it's laid out in detail in Matthew chapter 4. You can read about it there. Um, it's also found um, in brief in Mark chapter 1. But anyways, Jesus is out in the wilderness and Satan comes to him and he tempts him three times. And each time Satan uses scripture to try to elicit Jesus to fall into temptation um, and therefore making his eventual crucifixion on the cross nil but each time satan uses scripture it's um without regard to context and which is why it's so easy for jesus to retort back with scripture of his own all from the old testament by the way what jesus says and satan says but this time jesus uses the scripture all within the context and this is why it's important because if we use context then we're pointing people to Jesus, but it's easy to use scripture outside of context to support these sinful things. Like, it's been historical for people to use scripture to support slavery. And that is just obviously a wrong thing. And there are also cases where scripture is used out of context, not necessarily to defend certain sins, but just because of how people just kind of tend to read them. Just if you see the verse alone, that's how you might interpret it. For example, Jeremiah 29.11 For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And people always try to use that to say that Jesus wants us to prosper. But the context of that verse actually is that the Israelite people are held captive in Babylon. And so what Jesus, or the Lord, Jesus might as well be too, 
is trying to say through Jeremiah here is that, hey, I see that you're in captivity, and I want you to prosper. Um, and you can prosper in your captivity, but eventually I will free you. And I want to see this people prosper because I need you to be able to spread the gospel later on throughout the earth. And the other verse that I often find is taken out of context just because of how it's interpreted alone is Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, this is often used in athletics where I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. I can lift this amount of weights. I can body da you name it, whatever athletic thing. I'm not into athletics, obviously. Not much anyway. But the message that people try to portray using this verse is that through God all things are possible. And while that is true, um, that is not what the verse is trying to say. Paul wrote this letter of Philippians to the Philippians from prison, where Rome had held him under arrest. And Paul is describing that no matter what life threw at him, no matter the circumstances that God bestowed upon him throughout his life, he was able to find joy through it. Whether he was poor, needy, in want, um, at the lowest low, um, the worst situation you can ever think of, or if he was at the best situation you could ever think of, rich, um, had enough to own five houses, whatever. He was able to find joy through it all. Um, and I love how the NIV phrases this verse. It says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength, meaning I can have joy through life's circumstances. And again, I am sorry about the static. It has just popped up again. I've tried doing some maneuvering with my microphone and whatnot, but it's just not working. So I am sorry. Again, I am going to try to get a good podcasting mic soon. And there are two more biblical themes that come up. Um, first is presented when Rhodes tells Tony that he doesn't have to do it alone when um, Tony is first telling Rhodes that he's dying and um, he sees him drinking the chlorophyll um, and Rhodes is like, you don't have to do this alone, you know. Um, and so he realizes that he's going through an end-of-life crisis kind of thing. And why, that's why he's partied so much um, on his birthday. And that causes Rose to have pity on him. Um, and so just know that if you feel that you're at a crisis in life, know that you do not have to go it alone. Um, if you have friends, go to them. But if you don't feel like you can trust them, totally understandable. Um, find a trusted counselor, um, trusted by someone you trust, um, or have good reviews or whatever. But you do not have to go through life alone. And that is part of the importance of accountability. That way we can hold each other accountable, but also that we can go through struggles together and that way we can bear one another's burdens, um, as Paul tells us to do in Galatians 6.2. And the last biblical parallel comes from the line that Ivan Vankov says to Tony 
when Tony's visiting him in prison after he's speaking French, um, Vinkov says, if you could make God bleed, then people would cease to believe in him. Um, and that is certainly sort of true. Um, we've actually kind of see that play out in church history. Um, you kind of see that play out in the people before Jesus at the cross. They're mocking him, saying, um, if you're truly the Son of God, then save yourself. Um, but they see him bleeding, um, and they're like, surely if he was the Son of God, he'd be saving himself. If he was God, he'd be saving himself. But they totally miss the entire point of the cross. And while it is certainly true that people might cease to believe in God, even though he's bleeding, the whole reason he's bleeding is to die for all of us, to shed blood for all of us, to stand in our place to die for us on behalf of us for our sins. Um, and that is all I have for the biblical parallels there. Again, if you'd like to join our Discord, please feel free to contact me at mcudevos at gmail.com. I will be giving up Discord for Lent as I've been on there quite a bit and it's taken up quite a bit of my own time um, and hopefully in the process of giving that up for Lent, including Sundays because I have personal conviction for that, that I will be able to have more time to record for this podcast and just more time to be alone with Christ. So please feel free to contact me if you want to be part of the Discord. I can't promise to put you on the Discord during Lent. I don't think I will be able to. Um, but once we're back, once I'm back from Lent, I will be able to do that. So we'll see you next time when we cover the Incredible Hulk on Oh How Marvelous.